So Nathan acknowledged or pointed to some of the things that have been happening in our world and just in our country. And it seems like the hurricanes have just been lining up in the Gulf, ready to hammer the, the Florida coast and Gulf Coast. There have been a lot of people without food and water. We've participated as a church in helping through the Evangelical Free Church of America, the hurricane relief uh, efforts, both in Texas and in Florida over the last month. A lot of people have been displaced. It's been truly traumatic. We see pictures of people coming to get food, don't have house, don't have water, can't get back to their homes yet. Everything, everything that you normally think happens just goes away when you're without your home, without your food, without your water. Well, today we're going to talk about an incident in the ministry of Jesus with his original followers that, that found Jesus and his apostles with a bunch of people who needed some food, needed some water. Um, with a couple of breaks over the last several months, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark. We've taken a few breaks as we've gone along. In recent sections in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus send out his disciples. He's trained them. He's called them, trained them showed them miracles, and he's done healings, he's done exorcisms where he's cast demons out of people, and now he's really doing the hands-on training. You guys go out on these mission trips, on these mission teams, and he sent them out, and they came back, and they were ready to report what happened. They were on the front line of ministry, seeking this kingdom expansion that Jesus had been talking about as we've been going through this story. He gave them very strict instructions and those instructions included a warning that not everyone is going to receive you in a good way. Some people are not going to welcome you when you come and you tell them about the good news of God coming and bringing a redemptive plan. And this prompted Mark to recount at the, in chapter 6, um, Herod, whose fears of Jesus and what Jesus was talking about, and John the Baptist, the one who was the precursor for Jesus, who was also talking about pointing to Jesus, was pointing to God in this incoming kingdom. And Herod was very afraid, very intimidated, as kings were in that day. And so he, with a lot of other circumstances, had John executed. And now in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, we're going to join Jesus and his followers as they come back from their mission. They come back from serving God and, and teaching this kingdom and doing miracles and encountering all the opposition. And, and they come to Jesus, and what we're going to see now is that Jesus is going to show them that he is enough, that he is all of the provision that they need. In fact, Jesus provides for everyone who truly seeks him. That's the message of this passage we're going to look at today. So open your Bibles or go to your YouVersion Bible app. You can find um, in the events, uh, look for First Free, and you'll see the Scripture and everything, the notes for this message. But Mark chapter 6, verse 30 is where I want to start reading if you'll follow along. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Verse 12 tells us in this chapter that they had tremendous experiences taking this message that they learned from Jesus about the kingdom of God, about God's redemptive plan for the world into people's lives. Telling people that they should repent. Telling people they should change. Like Don told us last week, stop going away from God and move toward God. That was the heart of the message. Verse 13 tells us they were driving out demons, anointing sick people, healing the sick. So after such an 
event you can imagine. They were eager to get back with Jesus and have kind of a team meeting. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about where the struggles were. Let's talk about the challenges. Let's talk about the amazing things we saw as we stepped out and started calling people to follow after God. But along with their enthusiasm, there must be some weariness. Uh, this is emotional energy, spiritual energy, physical energy that they were expending. So they're tired. And Jesus saw that they were excited, but they were tired. And they needed to get away with him alone. Even positive expenditures of energy expend energy. And we need to be refreshed. They had questions to ask Jesus. They had observations to make. But we see in verse 31 that it was really difficult for them to talk to Jesus because the Lord's popularity was growing and growing and growing. And crowds were following him all over, everywhere he went, to see his miracles, to bring people to be healed. And Jesus knew that they needed to get away. So he said, come away with me. Come away with me by yourselves. That's privately. Let's get away as a group to a quiet place. Verse 32 explains they got in a boat and they took off on the Sea of Galilee to a solitary place. We can learn a lot from these verses. First thing we can learn is that we need to ask how much the activity that we're involved in uh, actually gives us something to report to Jesus. Have I done enough that really merits reporting back to Jesus of this is where I've seen the forces of darkness push back this week in my life, God? Uh, I think sometimes... I know in my life, I look back a week and I think, ooh, where have I really, really, really done that spiritual work where it's really required the power of the Holy Spirit to move back the forces of darkness? I mean, paying for the guy's latte, pumpkin double latte behind me at Starbucks is nice, but it's really not calling him to repentance, is it? And so sometimes I think it's a valid question do we individually and as a church have something to report? We should every week. When we come to worship, Jesus, this is where we have depended upon the power of the Holy Spirit to push back the forces of darkness and to call people who are lost to salvation. That ought to be a daily occurrence for us as followers of God, shouldn't it? So they had something to report. That was the first thing. Uh, then, as we're engaged in kingdom-building ministry, we need to realize that does zap us of our strength, that does require us to be replenished. Jesus said, come. He's still leading the way. There are times when we need to get away to this quiet place. The word he uses for quiet place, and he uses it twice here, verse 31, a solitary place. I'm sorry, quiet place. Verse 32, a solitary place. It's the Greek word eremos, eremos. This is the place Jesus often goes throughout the Gospels. When Jesus goes up to that mountain, he's going to the Eremos. He's going to the alone place. It's the wilderness. It's the solitary place. It's the place of great connection with God. It's also a place of great struggle in the ministry of Jesus. It was in chapter 1, verse 35, we read, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to the solitary place. He went to the Eremos. He went to the alone place. Jesus, who did more work in a day than we could probably do in a year, always knew when it was time, and it was best for all of his followers, that he go away and be with God alone, which that, that by itself is a lesson that we can learn, because we keep expending energy, expending energy, expending energy, but if we're not spending time alone with our Heavenly Father, then we're going to run out of stuff to give very quickly. 
But it's also a place of great temptation. That same concept, if you go to chapter 1, verse 12, following the baptism of Jesus, it says the Spirit sent him out into the desert, which is the same word, eremos, the the lonely place, the alone place. It's a place of great temptation. Not necessarily temptation to lie and steal and do all the overt sins. It's a place of temptation in my soul where I get alone with God. And I don't, I don't have any place to hide. It's, am I trusting you today, God? Am I really depending upon you, or am I trying to supplement my faith with stuff that I can do to soothe my own soul, to gain my own power? This lonely place, it's a place that can be a respite and can be a, a wilderness where we search for God. That's what Jesus was calling them to, and that's what he calls us to as well. You might ask, so, the, so they get in the boat and they're going to the other side. And the narrative of the story says that the crowd, probably some of them hearing, oh, they want to get away alone. What should we do? Let's run around to the other side and meet them. So they run around to the other side and meet them. And you might wonder how you could walk around the lake before they get there in the boat. But if we don't want to get somewhere, we can take as long as we want on the boat. And if they saw, well, the crowd's just moving over there, let's just stay out in the water a little bit. All right, guys, let's drift some. Put the anchor down. Let's hang out here for a little bit. So they got to the other shore. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 says, when Jesus landed, he saw the large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Put yourself on that boat with Jesus. You've had these incredible, you're on the team. He sent you out. You saw God do incredible things and also had some struggles and you're ready to debrief with your, with your master. And he says, all right, here's the, here's the plan for the day, guys. We're going to get together on a boat. We're going to go to a place where it's just going to be us for the day. And we're like, finally, we're going to get to just learn more, debrief with Jesus. We get to the other side and guess who's there waiting for us? the people we're trying to get away from. What's your immediate response? I know mine. <laughs> like, let's get back out in the water. Let's keep going until we can find a spot where these people aren't. That's the goal. But that's not what happened with Jesus. I would find it annoying, inconvenient, interrupting, rude, and a number of other adjectives. But when Jesus landed, he had compassion. He had compassion on them. The Sea of Galilee is the traditional site. This might be what it looked like. That's kind of the traditional place of where they landed. So you can see a long way along the shore there. When Jesus landed, instead of frustration or fear, he had compassion on them. This is another really important lesson to this story. Especially in our day, people need to know the heart of a shepherd, not the control of a dictator. The heart of a shepherd is what Jesus had for people. No matter how tired or drained you are, no matter what your plans for the day might have been, no matter how much you don't want to talk to anyone else today, if God brings a person into your life or brings people before you, they need compassion. They need compassion. Now, I am 100% sure that there are shepherds and people in my life that when they see the phone ring and they look at the caller ID and they say John Richardson and they get the email and it's from me, I'm sure there's times when they're like, oh, do I have time right now? I mean, I tax my shepherds. I know that. 
I've been taxed by sheep. I know that. I mean, aren't we all on both sides? We like to think we're just the one side. Everyone loves to hear from us. But really, uh, there are times, I'm sure, when the people who help me are like, oh, John, are you ever going to get it? Are you ever going to get it? When Jesus saw those people, he had compassion. We have, if we have no room for people who need guidance, if we have no room, if we can't find the compassion for the needy in our lives and in our world, even those we don't know, we've lost touch with perhaps the most critical aspect of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because he saw people, and he didn't see just the offensive, annoying, you just came here and I just said, didn't I, that we were getting away from you and you're here. He looked beyond that to what the need was in their heart that caused them to be annoying. And I'm so glad there are people in my life that look beyond what I'm doing to see why I'm annoying to them. That's what Jesus was teaching us here through this story. So when you pull your boat onto the shore of your life, and you see someone there who needs your help, let the heart of Jesus be your guide. Let the heart of Jesus give you compassion for those who might be a little annoying, might be a little needy, might be lost and without a shepherd. That's why Jesus did this. He viewed them as sheep without a shepherd. They were a team without a coach. They were employers or employees who didn't have an employer. They were children without a parent. They were a question without an answer. They, they didn't have a shepherd. Of course they're annoying. They don't know Jesus yet. They don't know God's plan. Think about the last time you saw a big crowd. Was it a sporting event like a Cardinals game or a Billy Joel concert or a traffic jam on Highway 40? When you see these crowds, how do you respond? How do you respond? Will you look beyond the surface to see the need I'm going to show you a few pictures of crowds. And let's see if we can have compassion. What about a political gathering in Washington, D.C.? When you see this, is your immediate thought, okay, which side are they on? Because I need to know where I get, if I'm for it or not. Or is it, wow, why are they there? They're people who are searching for something, who are promoting something. Or another rally, not in Washington, D.C., but what about a rally in North Korea? Do you gear up for war? Or are you moved with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd? Because, as I understand the Bible, God is just as interested in bringing his kingdom to come in North Korea as he is in the United States of America. Do we look with compassion? Or what about the shelter of hurricane victims in Houston. Do we look, with, look at that and say, oh man, that must be really rough for them. What am I doing to dinner, for dinner tonight? Where am I going? Where are we going out for dinner? Or do we have compassion? Do we think, wow, lives have been torn up and they may not have a home to go back to. Sheep without a shepherd. Or what about the Somalian refugee crisis? We would all love to see that go away so that we can move on with our own com comfortable lives or do we think, wow, sheep without a shepherd. They need Jesus. And then if we get real, what about a funeral for a fallen police officer killed in the line of duty? Do we look beyond and think, wow, 
compassion on these lives, compassion on the situation, compassion on the brokenness in our society that causes something like this. And then, since we're the epicenter, let's really talk. What about the protesters and demonstrators in St. Louis after the Stockley verdict? Do we look with judgment, criticism, or do we look with compassion thinking, wow, what's behind that? What's the unrest? What's the pain? What are they yearning for? Can we have compassion toward groups of people that are sheep without a shepherd? Instead of, wow, I'm supposed to go downtown for this event next week, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to because I don't know if the protesters are going to be there. Nothing that's not real, but I'm like, is that our first thing? Or are we saying, wow, there, there's actually broken, hurting people who are in pain, and they need a shepherd? Compassion is what Jesus had. So what about your life? And you might come up with a lot of other groups of people, maybe family members. I mean, we're getting close to holiday time. What about that Christmas gathering people are talking about? Do we really want to go? Are we really going to have compassion towards those relatives that we'd rather not spend the week with or the day with? It's interesting that Jesus didn't begin when he got there by lecturing them about how unthoughtful they were, about how rude they were to come and interrupt their day. He also didn't do some great miracle. He began by teaching them. I think this is important. Bill Hybels of Willow Creek Community Church has said for a long time, we can teach our way out of any problem in the church. We can teach our way out of any problem in the church. By that, he means like Jesus did, God's word as we see it, or in Jesus' day, the truth of God is a roadmap through life. And so the question is, are we leaning on the roadmap through life to teach us into these tricky areas so that we can understand what God wants to do here. We don't exactly know what he taught them that day, but I'm assuming it's very consistent with everything else he's taught up till now in the Gospel of Mark. So how we think, how we believe, our cognitive posture toward God, so to speak, how we look to God mentally, and by mentally I don't just mean with our brain, but that the Bible sees our our heart as kind of brain, thinking, feeling, emotion, all is kind of one. So our cognitive posture toward God influences our emotions, influences our behavior, influences our circumstance and how we respond to those circumstances. But our teaching, like that of Jesus, needs to be aimed at what the Bible called the heart, that inner control center of life. So now I'm going to read the rest of this passage. Um, 10 verses, so hang with me. Mark chapter 6, verses 34 to 44. And this is the miracle. This is all just getting us ready for the miracle that Jesus is going to do here. When Jesus landed, he saw the large crowd had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, it would take eight months' wages. Are we going to spend that much on bread to give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in the groups on the green grass So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. 
Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And he gave it to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Now we approach this text different, in, a little differently than the first century listeners would or uh, audience of Jesus. In ancient times, God's work wasn't divided into supernatural and natural like we do today. We think of miracles as being something very unusual or unnatural. In the first century, miracles were natural. Yes, they were miracles, but they were natural. The New Bible Dictionary said belief in miracles in the context of a new world was set in the context of a worldview which regards the whole of creation as continually dependent upon the sustaining activity of God and subject to his sovereign will. So this is a, there's little difference between God's sovereign providence, how God oversees everything, and his specific acts. We tend to divide those into two categories. In the first century, they didn't divide those into two categories. So there's little difference in this story of what God does through Jesus and what he does every day. Every day he feeds thousands of people, doesn't he? The normal way is they plant seeds and they harvest crops and they sell the crops and you buy the food and you, that's the normal way. Jesus is just doing it differently today. Same thing. The miraculous is there's a God who's governing this and a God who's providing for his people. And we probably have more everyday miracles that we just dismiss because we actually went to Chinooks and bought the food and brought it home and cooked it instead of seeing it as a miracle that God provides for us. So from other gospel accounts, we see it appears there was a larger conversation going on among the disciples. How are we going to feed all these people? What a dilemma. We didn't want them here, but they're here. And we didn't, you know, when they signed up for this conference, there was no lunch provided. So now we don't have to feed them. And it's a long way to get to the towns. Every little town around had markets, like just the food markets, farmer's market kind of thing set up, but it would take a while to get there, and they would have to spread out to numerous towns. So the disciples' wheels were spinning. How are we going to feed all these people? Um, Let's get our leadership skills together and figure out what the best strategy is for mobilizing them. Who's going to go to this town? Who's going to go to this town? Who's going to go to this town? And their wheels are spinning, and they came to Jesus because they noticed it was getting late. Something had to be done. Now, had Jesus followed their advice it still would have been a pretty good day, wouldn't it? If Jesus would say, oh, you're right. I didn't, didn't even realize what time it is. All right, we're going to all break now and everyone go to different towns and get, get lunch and come back for the afternoon session or evening session um, or come back tomorrow. It still would have been a pretty good day, but it wouldn't have been a day focused on the provision of God, nor would it have been a day where these disciples understand what faith in Jesus and trusting in him is really all about. Instead of that path, Jesus saw the insignificance of their resources, and he made it the teaching moment that we all know in this story. John reports with detail, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. What are they among so many? We found one boy, he's got some barley loaves and two fish, 
What are they going to do with 5,000 men plus all their wives and kids? Jesus, we are in real trouble here. With God, no resource is too small. With God, there is no small resource. In fact, the measure of God's demonstration and power is often inversely proportional to what we bring to the table. And I often come with a lot to the table and say, God, this is what I think we need in ministry. Here's what I'm bringing. How can you use this? All my strengths, all my skills, all my experience, all my, te- all my education. God, here's what I'm bringing. God's power and provision is inversely proportional to what we bring. Francis Schaeffer said, with God there are no little people, no little places. With God there are no little people and there are no little places. How do we overlook people and resources that God wants to use for his kingdom pleasure, for his kingdom purposes in our lives and ministry? What about the way we treat people with disabilities in our culture? What about the way we treat people with disabilities in our church? What about the way we, we deal with the elderly in our culture? What if our nominating committee, here's a, an interesting one, what if our nominating committee who's working right now, instead of coming to us with a slate of officers with, you know, here's the way this person leads in his you know, corporate responsibility and this person has this education and this person's done this and this person's done this. What if they came and said, you know what, this person actually struggles with depression and they don't have a job right now. But, man, it feels like this is the one that God's calling to be an elder here. God's calling to be a leader here. I mean, do we think that way? Do we think, let's bring, not just the big things that we bring, God use this because we think this is gonna help, but like, wow, what about the insignificant? What about the broken? We talk about leadership development. We love that. And we wanna train leaders here. But who's gonna look at the person who has no prospect to be a good leader. I'm so thankful in my little country church. I mean, I grew up, I was the awkward little kid, grew up in a widow's family, had nothing, there was nothing about me at all that would catch anyone's attention that I had any prospect of serving God in any way significantly. And I'm so thankful that there were men who took kids like me and said, no, I see nothing, nothing. But God does really cool stuff with nothing. I think this is a really, really critical message for us, especially in the affluent area that we live in, the kind of Christianity we do. Yeah, all this stuff is good and skills and education. I'm not, I'm not bashing any of that. I've got it. But I don't want to depend on it. I don't want to depend on it. So Jesus tells them to separate out, get into groups, which I don't know that we can make much about that. You need to do that when you're going to feed a lot of people. Uh, he took the meager loaves and the fish and he gave thanks for it, or some translations say he blessed it. And I want to pause there for a minute, because that's an important concept. He blessed it. We, don't, we talk about a blessing, a prayer before a meal maybe. But a blessing presupposes two things, a, a benefactor and a recipient. A blessing always has a benefactor, someone who has the ability to give, and a recipient who's going to receive. That's what a blessing is. So when we give a blessing before a meal, God, you've provided this. I thank you for it. I didn't have it. I wouldn't have it without you. And so Jesus blessed this food, this small offering, 
And then he asked the disciples to distribute the food. Now, I love doing this with gospel stories. Put yourself in, in one of these guys' places. You're one of the apostles. You get, you get this little basket with a fish and, piece of fish and bread, and Jesus says, go walk out there and start feeding 5,000 people with this. What goes on in your mind? Like, all right, are you, are you really sure this is, this is what we're doing here? And this is going to be kind of embarrassing. Oh, you know, what must it have been like as they were actually walking with the basket and they gave it and then it started distributing? And then I'm thinking, how am I going to tell the person who says it's empty? What am I going to say to them? And then all of a sudden it keeps going and it comes back. And, it, and when it gets back to my hands, there, there are more, there's more fish and more bread here than when I started. And I'm like, Jesus actually knew what these people needed. And he's got everything under control. I can trust him. I can trust him. I can count on him. Trusting Jesus is like watching him provide. And I don't know where in your life you need, you need to trust Jesus today. Maybe there's some fear some place that you're just not having enough stuff, you're, you're not experiencing joy, you're not encountering the victory that God wants you to give, you're, you're coming up short. What I want to ask you to do today is to trust Jesus and let him provide. Be like one of those disciples, take whatever meager stuff you've got in that area and just bring it and give it to him, will you? And then, and, and, don't think you've got to have all the confidence right now. Give it to him and watch the basket start to go. And watch the abundance and watch the provision that God gives to you. This small amount of fish became more than enough for the entire crowd. 5,000 men alone. They had 12 baskets full left over. When we trust the God who wants to provide for us, he does the miracle of making it enough. Last question. Where are you searching for answers today? Where are you yearning for more in life? Where are you searching and yearning for more? The tendency is to assess our situation, figure out how to bring our A game to this so that we can make this happen. I'm going to ask you to do the opposite of that. I'm going to ask you to not bring your A game to this, but I'm going to ask you to bring your insignificance. I'm going to ask you to bring your scarcity. I'm going to ask you to bring your brokenness. I'm going to ask you to bring your weakness. Bring what you have to the Lord. Trust him and watch him provide. Let's pray. This story, which is so familiar, God, to many of us, if we've been in church very long at all, is convicting and encouraging and challenging Help us, as I reflect just on some of the big points, help us to be people of compassion. We are annoying people and we get annoyed and we need compassion. We need to love people, we need to care for them. So help us even as we go throughout this day to be people who follow after Jesus and have compassion on crowds, have compassion on people who are lost without a shepherd. And then forgive us for overlooking the insignificant things of life that you want to use for your biggest kingdom building work and projects. 
Help us as a church, help us as individuals to bring to you our brokenness, bring to you our insignificance, and we trust you to provide everything we need. Amen.